Benjamin Franklin once said, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. The fact is, quality matters. Join us as we make quality fun, interesting, and accessible to companies of all levels. Quality Matters is a must-listen for all things quality. Listen in, ask questions, and get back to doing what matters most. Quality Matters, brought to you by Texas Quality Assurance, where quality management gets simplified. Well, welcome back to the Quality Matters podcast. I'm Kyle Chambers with Texas Quality Assurance, and glad to have you back. Today, we are talking, continuing in our uh, consultation mini-series about competence and training. So competence and training is one of the, to me, more difficult sections of the standard to maintain compliance to. Just one of the more difficult business practices. Um, I used to be a QHAC manager. So for close to about 10 years, I was in charge of quality, environmental, health, safety, insurance, you, you name it, all sorts of crazy stuff. Had to deal with all the workers, comp mess, you know, so it's lots of lots of fun stuff there. And one of the biggest requirements for safety is training. The quality side, training is incredibly important as well. A little bit different, but very, very important. Now, the problem is that our, our base of employees, well, changes. You know, we've unfortunately all seem to have a bit of a revolving door these days. You know, I had one customer a couple of years ago. This was right at, you know. Right as we were kind of going through the tail part of part of COVID, although I guess technically we're still in it, but you know who who knows this is. And uh, so one of the things they had is they had nearly a ten percent um, attrition rate, like monthly. It's like every month they were losing ten percent of their people and bringing another ten percent in. We just couldn't get anyone that wanted to want to work a full time job. Um, now it's not nearly as bad now, but there for a period of time it was it was really rough. And you know I personally didn't have to deal with anything that bad but it's still even just growing if you're growing you're hiring new people new people every couple of weeks every month like god only knows how many times i did my safety orientation and i would beg i would beg my managers like please just have the guys start on the same day of the week that way I only have to do one set of orientation that week and I can just plan that let's say my Mondays or you want to bring them on in Tuesdays because Mondays are busy. Like then I can just plan on my Tuesdays being taken up with orientation. No, I do an orientation on Tuesday. They'd swear no one else is coming in. Hey, Kyle, we got someone. They they're going to start on Friday, Friday. Cool. Okay. I'll drop what I'm doing and we'll do orientation on Friday which is fine. You do orientation. It's disruption in your schedule. But even with that, it's like, cool. Now we've got to take this person to make sure that I've got a plan to get all of their required trainings done here in the first 30 days. <clears throat> you know, anything that we didn't handle in orientation, I really tried hard to knock out a lot of trainings in that orientation. Like we'd go through PPE, we'd go through HASCOM, you know, we'd go through um, all of these different basic type trainings. We'd handle all that day one in orientation. But there's still lots of other stuff that needs done. We're still going to have to do forklift testing. We're still going to have to get your weld test done. We're still, you know, maybe if you were a welder here, we, we got you your ASNT. So I'm going to get your ASNT level one for, you know, liquid penetrant. We're going to have to go through all these different things. Okay. Well, it gets to be a lot to keep up with. And then some of these trainings have to be renewed. 
So something as simple as forklifts, you got to do it every three years. First aid CPR, you got to do it every two years. Maybe you've got an internal training that you just want to do on an annual basis for some good reason. And all these trainings are on different intervals. Also, <laughs> this was one of the more fun things I had. Um, this was probably, I don't know, first six months, maybe earlier than that of being a safety manager. And I was like, well, you know what? I um, I need to do lots of safety training, but I don't know who who has or hasn't been trained before because we had done um, a few trainings in the past. So we brought like some past someone in uh, prior to me taking over safety manager, um, a third party person to do crane training. Uh, craning rigging and at this point i'd taken some classes and with the training materials and i was going to be our trainer for craning rigging okay well, i'm gonna do training for craning rigging my thought was it never hurts to have extra training so i'm just gonna pull everyone in and we're gonna train everyone right here right now well, sounded great to me um talking to the uh, COO of the company, he he had a little bit of a different opinion of the matter. And uh, I couldn't understand at first. And he's like, Kyle, why'd you pull everyone in for crane training? I was like, well, we need to get it done. And, you know, about half the shop I knew for certain had to have it, but the other half, you know, maybe they still had another year before they needed it renewed. And he's like, Kyle, do you realize how much money you just cost us? And he's like, and this is a conversation that everyone in training has to have. And there, there's a balance to be found here. I can't say I knew the secret sauce to it, but there's a balance to be found here. But he had a really good point. And he really got me to think about it. And this is something that as consultants, as quality managers, as safety managers, we all have to think about if we want to have a good working relationship with the operation side of our business. Because when quality, safety, you know, when we don't have a good relationship with operations, it, it, it makes for a difficult, difficult job. He's like, Kyle, you got to realize every one of these guys, you take what they're paying, you take their overhead rate. We've got costs there. Like, oh, geez, yeah, that, that could be a lot. You know, let's just uh, say that, you know, overhead, just simple numbers here. Let's just say they got paid, you know, after you account for insurance and taxes and all this kind of crap, they're getting paid, you know, 30 bucks an hour and they got 30 hour, um, $30 an hour overhead. So we're looking at $120 an hour, pure cost for that guy to be in training for two hours. <clears throat> well, 120 an hour, so we'd be looking at 240 an hour. And I'm doing that for 50 guys. Then you got to consider the fact that every hour that they are in training is an hour that they are not doing something that we're getting paid for. So we've got a lost opportunity for revenue there. So your trainings are, in fact, incredibly expensive. The cost of the outside trainer when you bring an outside person in is typically far less than just the cost of the training itself. But we don't see those numbers at, as an extra line on the budget or anything like that. So we typically don't think about it. But those trainings, they actually are very expensive. So we want to make certain that we are very, very efficient with our time. We want to make certain that we are very respectful of um, our operation manager's time and our people's time when we, when we do training. So we want to make certain that we're only training folks who actually need training. This is why our retrain intervals are so very important when we set up trainings, because we want to make sure that we train them in time, maybe a little bit early because we don't want to go over, but we don't want to do it too much. Again, it's, it's kind of an interesting, interesting balance to, to take there. Now, one of the things that I have struggled with, and we struggled with in uh, developing our uh, QMS software, um, is how do you identify who needs a training? And this is something that we've had several iterations over the years. 
initially, um, my thoughts were, well, everyone assigned to a department um, should probably have the same trainings, right? So like if you're working in the machine shop, um, well, then you need all the same basic training, right? So you need to be, you know, made aware of dangers of rotating objects. You need to make sure that you're wearing your steel toes and your safety glasses. And then we probably still need to have the same trainings on the quality side of things. We need to understand the receiving process. We need to understand the quality policy and we need all of these different type things in here. Well, yeah, yeah, all that's, uh, all that's real true. Um, but then it gets a little more a little more specific sometimes. So maybe doing it as a department isn't quite good enough because we've got one guy in that department who manages uh, a different machine, a different piece of equipment. No one else really messes with that equipment because, you know, we'll call him Bob over here. Bob's really good at uh, at what he does. So, so Bob's got some different responsibilities than everyone else in the department, which means Bob has to have some additional training that the other folks in the department don't. So then do we say that he works in a different work area than everyone else and you know, we kind of ran into some problems there um then we tried to do it by job description well problem there is not everyone uses a job description all right so we kind of got to throw the job description method out in the way um now i can fill you in on how that's possible another day but you know we're talking about training here today but uh so what we have finally settled on is what we call it is a training classification now we find that every customer tends to do it just a little bit differently but training classification equates to effectively the work area this job description or some specific standout kind of unique employee in case you enter in that training classification and you assign employees to that classification that classification has trainings assigned to it so you can kind of start to see where all this goes so if you assign trainings to a classification meaning if you're assigned that classification these are the trainings you have to have this employee is assigned the classification, those and trainings they have to have. Okay, cool. So then I can take a look at the list of needs versus the list of what they have, and we can identify any gaps if they're missing any trainings. And it works out really well. But, you know, then the question is, well, what do we even need to set up as trainings? And this is a really valid point. There's a lot of different ways that you can set up a training program. So one way that we can set up a training program is based on every piece of equipment that's being used. In some instances, this is a good idea. If your shop has multiple different types of equipment, um, I'm not talking about like a CNC shop, but maybe you're a CNC shop, but you've got multiple different types of CNC. We've got everything from a one axis to a five axis. We've got different lays, we've got mills. Um, maybe we've got a area where we do chemical stripping. We've got all of these different things going on it does tend to make sense to have some equipment or equipment specific trainings in those trainings. You're going to want to talk about basic hazards of that equipment. If you've done a risk assessment of the area, fantastic. We're going to identify here, are all of the aspects that we need to worry about. There's these, these, uh, you know, uh, hazards here for entanglement. There's a hazard here for cuts and abrasion. There's a hazard here for electrical shock. And here's everything that we're doing about it fantastic another thing you want to do is any obvious do's or do nots there are certain things you know you're just going to be an idiot if you do it in this work area so let's make sure that we tell them about it there are certain things we want to tell people always do xyz before always do abc after we want to make sure that's included in the training material and what you want to do is store that training material as a controlled document do it 
all that training material becomes a control document. And now anytime we change the training in the future, we've already got a process to train it. Now you might say, well, Kyle, why do I need to go in the hassle of making it a control document? That's just extra work for me. The standard doesn't say it has to be that. Like, okay, I, I'll give you that. But let me ask you this. When you do that training, how what confidence do you have that they were trained on everything they're supposed to be trained on? Unless you have a document that says train them on all of this and then you control it. The other example could be, let's say that we send them for a third party training. Well, that third party training, we're kind of relying on them to have everything there and we're offloading that responsibility to them. But when we do it internally, we, we can't offload that responsibility anywhere. So we have to take care of it ourselves. Another reason you want to make sure that you do it as a control document is when you change it in the future, you're going to have to have some process by which someone's allowed to change the training materials. So why create two separate processes? Let's just have one process that we use. And so that, that really tends to, uh, tends to work, uh, tends to work really quite well. Um, but the competence and training is, it's just one of these processes that's really, really tough to do. The, the, the biggest part in it, it, there's two big, big pains is one identifying what we even need to train people on. And then two, how to keep track of who has those requirements. So we've already covered the requirements piece because we're going to set up a training classification, assign every employee to a classification that fits them. And if there's not a classification that fits them, assign them to their own unique classification. It's okay. Don't don't make that like the norm that you do, but you can do it. Um, and we've done it several times and it works. It works really well. Because again, if you're in a small business, odds are you've got someone in your department that's got a different skill set than everyone else, has a little bit different responsibility. Maybe they're from paid a little bit better as a result of it. But, you know, we've got someone that operates just a little bit differently than everyone else. And that is fine. We're accounting for it. We're documenting it. Life's good. You can have all the exceptions to the rule you want as long as you document them. Of course, we want to make certain that we follow the rule, not the exception, but, you know, you get the idea. But again, the uh, talking about the other big problem is identifying what we need to train on. So maybe it's going to be equipment specific. But then we also have with the equipment specific, let's let's take safety for a minute. Um, we've got certain basic processes that we have to worry about. So you're going to have a PPE training. You're going to have all of the basic safety program training. So we're going to have HASCOM. If you've got forklifts, we're going to have forklifts. If we've got crane, overhead gantry, jib cranes, we're going to have training for that. Same thing with scissor lifts. We're going to have something for that. And we're going to go through all of these key processes. We're going to have uh, control of hazardous energy, lockout, tagout. That's a real fun one to build. Um, but we're going to have all of these basic processes. Then, like I say, we're going to have the equipment-specific ones. On the quality side, question here, it's not quite as clean cut as it is for safety. Um, but we've got certain uh, departmental type trainings. So we're going to have a fundamentals for a certain department. Oftentimes, can't say this is a requirement, but oftentimes it's a good idea. We want to have a basic orientation. That basic orientation tells people about our company, what we do, who does it, the basic flow throughout our process. We're probably going to want to have a training on our ERP as it relates to how that person uses, you know, ERP, enterprise resource planning. Maybe you don't have an ERP. You know, an ERP might be something like, a, you know, NetSuite or Acumatica or Dynamics or ShopTech E2, whatever you've got in there, right? So we might have one of those. Um, we're also going to want to have requirements in there for processes that require certification. So things like a welding 
things like a NDT, you know, things, things that require certain skills or training there as well. Let's say that you are a lead in the department. Is there any specific management training that we want to have? Are there any more specific technicals that we want to have? But on the quality side, a lot of the required trainings that we have really boil down to technical aspects. Um, same thing here. Let's say that we've got uh, certain machinery that someone's operating. We've got a couple of ways that we can certify them to use it. Because remember, we're looking at competence and training. Now, there's there's a couple of pieces here. It's competence and it's training. So we obviously understand training, but like if you're hiring, again, let's go to the CNC operator. If you're hiring someone to operate the machine, it's kind of assumed that they're already competent to operate it long before you hired them. So aside from the basic, you know, liability stuff on the safety side, like, what do you train them on? We may not actually have a lot to train because we don't train people to operate this equipment. We hire folks that are already competent to do it. So that's where competence means that we probably need to have some stuff to find ahead of time, such as a job description, a very, very good thing to have at minimum a signed offer letter that states the competencies that they agree to. We want to have a copy of the resume. We might even want to have them run a sample part through the machine before we hire them. We want to maintain record of that. But all of that's going to get stored as competence. And these are the type of things that we have to define procedurally. What do we find as competence? What do we define as training? So if you have to find someone as competent to operate equipment that does not have some required retraining interval, that can be sufficient. Don't think that we have to make it better because we have to make it better. We've got to find a, a reason for, for documentation. Otherwise, we're going to drive ourselves absolutely bonkers with documentation. Now, with training, there's a second kind of little piece to it, and the standard talks about this, that we call awareness. Now, I tend to lump training and awareness uh, together, but we do them a little bit differently. Um, so in our QMS software, the way that we, we track it, and this again, this operates very similarly in many other systems. But the way that we track there is we have what we call our training library. We have our toolbox talk library. Our training library, these are all of the required trainings, right? So like required training, meaning we have to have it at least once. We have to have evidence that you, you took it. Say like our uh, awareness of the quality policy or QMS awareness. We're probably not giving anyone a quiz. We're probably not testing them on it, although it's not a bad idea. Um, we, we just need evidence that we talked to you about it and that you are aware. So this would be an awareness level training, but that's a little bit different from what we call our toolbox talks. Toolbox talks might be your, your pre-shift uh, safety meeting. Um, maybe it's uh, annually HR comes out and has to have documentation that we told y'all about the new insurance plans and offerings that we have this year. You know, we need evidence that we, we told people about it. Okay, cool. So for those things, I like to use a toolbox talk. Let's say that you were absent today and you missed this morning's toolbox talk. Maybe we were talking about safety glass, safety glasses, and you're reminding everyone what Z87 means. Okay, cool. I missed today. I didn't get the safety glasses talk, but I'm here tomorrow. Tomorrow, if you're not going to make me sit through the safety glasses talk from yesterday because we do a safety talk every day and I'll probably hear the same safety glasses talk again in six weeks. It's just a toolbox talk. We want record that I attended it, that I was there, but there's no record that I attend every single one if I'm not available to attend it. So it's just a toolbox talk. And those are purely awareness level trainings as well. So we'll track all of those on our uh, on our toolbox talks. But that's really the, the basics of, of competence and training. Now, you'll find that uh, 
either someone else previous to you in your organization, maybe you yourself, maybe your manager handed it to you, whatever. Someone's got some weird looking training matrix and they're really hard to do. They're really, really hard to do well. Um, so what we have done in a couple of instances, I like to avoid doing it when I can. If we can get all of the good evidence and training and put it in there, let's do it. But a lot of times what happens is folks will simply use a spreadsheet and they'll record the training was done with a date on the spreadsheet, but no tangible evidence anywhere that we can find. Um, this is where you have to make a management decision for your business. But if you have confidence and how you have confidence, only you can define. Maybe you were there for it with the previous guy, and you know you saw it, that it was done. He was just bad about paperwork. But you know it was done, and we've got the training there. Go ahead and sign off saying that this person is competent for XYZ task. Some exclusions to this might be something like uh, forklifts, where there are some very specific legal requirements for training. Same thing as something that requires third-party skills. Uh, again, like say we're doing ASNT for liquid penetrant. Well, you as a manager can't say they're competent for that. There are other other processes that have to be found there. But you know, for things that we that are within our control, if you want to write up on leatherhead that so and so has been determined as competent based on. ABC criteria, observing their, their work and so on and so forth. Go for it. It's, it's not all that different than the grandfather approvals we do for suppliers. We want to make certain that we get the data in there. We've got a base to start from. This is what can drive people absolutely bonkers with putting a new uh, competence and training program in place is trying to figure out who did and didn't have what in the past. Inevitably, you are going to have some folks that do get a little bit of additional retraining uh, sooner than they may have needed to have it. But we can do a pretty good job of minimizing it here, minimizing those expenses and making sure that it all works well in, uh, in the future. When I was a QHC manager, prior to putting any software solutions in place, um, I used to spend a whole quarter, I'm sorry, a whole weekend every quarter at the office, just going through all my sign-in sheets, trying to figure out who needed what. Um, if you've got a good software solution in place, it can be a really, really simple, easy process. So if that's something you'd like to learn more about, because we've got a fantastic uh, competence training program, we just added a uh, learning management system module on top of it. So if you've got some videos, say that PowerPoint you've got, and you want to like walk through the PowerPoint and do like the narration on it, which you can all do within PowerPoint itself and then export it as uh, a movie file. Um, you could create a quiz for it and, you know, everything. We have all of that there for them to sign on. So if there's something you want to learn a little bit more about, email me directly, kchambers at texasqa.com. I'd love to show you, tell you a little bit more about the conference training program and learning management system in TQA Cloud. But if you're not on TQA Cloud and you're on some other system, check it out. See what it can do for you because the software solutions make competence and training so, so, so much easier. Um, but that's it. That's all I've got for you today. I'm trying real hard to rein myself in and not go down too many uh, crazy rabbit holes. And I, I know I tend to like to do that. So I hope this is a, a good format for you. If you haven't already, please do click like, share, subscribe. I know everyone says all this stuff, but it really does matter. And it really does help us a lot. So that's all I got for you guys. So I hope you have a uh, great day and I will talk to you soon. Thank you.